Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your round three recap for this week's Honda Classic. Joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. What's up, Greg? What's going on, Rick? Uh, great day of golf today. Man, it was tough out there. Um, Honda Classic playing tough as usual, which was uh, which was really cool to see. We saw a little brown out in the greens, uh, some, some firmness out there, and I mean, three under par. Shane Lowry, low round of the day. This was uh, some tough stuff out there. Yeah, it really was uh, the scoring average over uh, two strokes over par uh, at a minimum, which was the most difficult day we've seen out there thus far. Didn't look that hard to Daniel Berger out there, Greg, because uh, he did it again. He broke par again, a 69. And I was looking this up just a moment ago. There's been over 1,300 bogeys, double bogeys, or worse around PGA National for the first three rounds. Daniel Berger has accounted for exactly two of them. That's kind of the winning recipe. Yeah, it's been amazing. And look, the thing is, in those first two rounds, he bought himself this opportunity where all this was okay. And today's round was okay. In fact, it's quite good. Um, you're, you're only two shots away from the low round of the day, but the style in which he was able to do it you're, you're able to play away from bogeys and you're able to play away from flag sticks. And if you just, well, it's one thing to watch the round, but you, I went through after because I was noticing this as I was watching and I'm clicking through the, you know, um, shot tracker, looking at where he's hitting the ball and everything's away from the flag stick with the exception really of uh, hole number six where from 190, he goes at the flag, hits it over, hits it over the green. Everything else is wide side. So you, but he's afforded that luxury. He doesn't need to make birdies. He doesn't need to charge at at, at all. And so that's um, a very opportunistic place to be. And it was really done with the first two rounds of 65 that he shot Thursday and Friday. The only blemish on the card on Saturday was the bogey he made on his final hole of the day. 18 hits it into the right rough. Doesn't get the layup back into the fairway, leaves it short. Can't get up and down. That that's can, that can happen out there to you where just one bad shot compounds things at PGA national. But if you're not, hitting it into the water on 15 or 17. This is, I mean, he played the bear trap at one under it's, it's just been a really impressive three days and now five shots clear Greg of his closest chaser. It almost looks like a typo on the leaderboard, quite frankly. Right. And, and it, it almost looked easy, right? It didn't look like a guy that's leading by five. It didn't look like he's holding everybody's looking at. I mean, Look, the shots at the bear trap were really impressive, particularly 15 and 17. I mean, 15 really stands out. What a shot that was. But 17 is a great shot, too. He's, again, able to keep it wide side, keep it towards the front of the green, which, of course, brings the water into play, but takes the back bunker out of play, which is where you make the bogey. 
Um, the, the back bunker there is brutal. Of course, the water is no place to be, but in a, in a strange way, you almost have to bring that into play more when the hole's in the back. Because you, if you do hit it in the back bunker, which would be your bailout, your really only opportunity to bail out, you're short-sighted. And, and four is almost inevitable. So from a str- uh, strategy standpoint, it's been very interesting to watch what he's been able to do. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just so impressed. And when you play that style, the, the hard thing is you, you play that style where you're playing very conservative and very safe. PGA National requires you to step up and hit hit shots where there is no bailout. There's no opportunity to take the the take the high road and take par. Um, you have to step up and hit a shot, and that's exactly what he was able to do today. Our very own Kyle Porter tweeted this out a couple of hours ago. Since golf restarted in June of 2020, the five best players most strokes gained per round are one, John Rahm, obviously two. Patrick Cantlay. Okay. Makes sense. Three, Justin Thomas four, Daniel Berger. And I could not decide Greg, if I thought this was interesting or not, thought it was crazy or not, because you and I talk about this nearly every single Monday. He is one of the better ball strikers and at least approach players over the last 50 or 100 rounds. So when you start to look at it that way, this tweet is not all that surprising, but maybe we should be considering Berger in a different tier than I think most people would consider him in. Yeah, you look at that stretch. There aren't a lot of guys with multiple wins in that stretch. He's one of them. He's got two wins with winning Pebble Beach last year and also winning um, the very first event back at, at Colonial. Yeah. The Charles Schwab. And now he's looking to add a third. I mean, Patrick Cantlay has four wins in that stretch. One of them is highly questioned with the Memorial. <laughs> you think that should be John Rahm. One of them. And the other one, he had a head start. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, that, those are really in question and it, it puts Berger right in that category. But then on top of that, he's been so consistent in, in his other finishes, he's he's accumulated a number of top tens. Seems to be in that position week in and week out. And for this week particularly, Rick, you, you know, you go back and look at his yearly stats. And you look at what's important around PGA National, and he would he makes perfect sense, right? You look, he's forty seventh in strokes gain off the tee for this year. But he's one hundred and seventy second in distance. Okay, well that's not important. At PGA National, what's important? Accuracy. Well, he's second in driving accuracy for the year at 72.22%. Uh, in, in, in a strange way, he's hitting the exact same percentage of greens that have 72.22%. Um, that, that's 30th. So I'm, I'm intrigued by him. But that is a, a safe style of player in a way. You don't see a lot of top players in the world being that highly ranked in accuracy. But he also has a, a great ability to make birdies. He's 16th in birdie average for the year. So, I mean, really, through the entirety of the of the bag, uh, he he's really good. This year hasn't been great with the putter, but he's been quite good this week. <laughs> You're darn right he has. He was, I just had this up here. He is, let's see, top five, seventh in strokes game putting over the course of the week to go along with third on approach 18th off the tee and 14th around the green. That'll get the job done. Five shots clear with 18 holes to go. According to Justin Ray on the PGA tour, that closes about 77% of the time, Greg. So let's, let's do this. I, I think DB is going to get it done for sure. 
not for sure. Nothing is for sure in life, especially not in golf, but he, he should be able to get this done. But is there any place else on tour in which a five shot lead could disintegrate more quickly than PGA? Nat- like if you just said, I'll give you a five shot lead. You pick the course. PGA national would be like the last course I pick. Absolutely. Cause it can disintegrate in a heartbeat. I mean, literally in a heartbeat, there's only two holes on the golf course today that didn't give up a double bogey one in 18. That's it. Wow. That's it. Every other hole had at least one double bogey. I mean, there were, there were nine others for the others, meaning worse than double bogey for the second straight day. Big numbers are out there. And the, the other thing about this setup that makes a five shot lead somewhat challenging it's, it's not an overly long golf course. So I do think there could be a five under par round out there tomorrow. And if that's the case, there's a, a handful of players who could catch Berger. And then you add to that, Berger's not going to be able to play aggressive. When, when you're sitting on a five-shot lead, you're crazy to start going at hole locations, especially when water's lurking near. So now he's going to be kind of held to like, like a great round for him tomorrow is two under par. It's a great round. And if, if he plays an okay round and shoots even par, it brings a number of players into play. Again, it's still, no matter what Berger does, I think there's probably only five, what, five guys in the mix here, including Berger? Uh, six, I guess. There's six, six yeah. guys. T, T7 is nine shots back, two under par. We talked about that on Monday. Like, hey, if you shoot two under every single day, you might win this thing. That would be true if if Daniel Berger wasn't here. But that's that's the gap. It's a huge gap to the guys, T2, and then basically another gap to the guys in T7. And, and you got Svensson sitting there at five under. So everybody who's at five under or better, Svensson, Kitayama, Lowry, uh, you know, those guys, those guys are uh, Straka as well. And that's uh, Chris Kirk's the other guy. So you got you have basically five guys other than Berger that I think have a, a chance in this thing. And to kind of it, it's almost in a way easy to piece together a, an avenue for any of them to win where they <laughs> go out and shoot for two over or anything worse than that. And now you have a tournament. And that is there's a very real possibility of that. The big advantage Berger has is there's only there's only five other guys that he's got to stay ahead of. And if if he's out there and Lowry isn't making a move, no nobody starts really making a move and pressuring him, he can stick with the same strategy that he had today. Play to the wide side, make your pars, and uh, and and the trophy is yours. And I, I think that's a a real possibility for him, especially if he's able to make a couple birdies early. If he's able to hit a couple of those wedge shots close, if there's a few favorable hole locations, that can be um, that that could be really costly for the rest of the field. Daniel Berger is minus four hundred at Caesars Sportsbook. That's like implying an eighty percent probability that he wins this golf tournament. Next shortest odds: Shane Lowry five back. He's ten to one. So, Greg, let's just play this game just for hypotheticals. Let's give. Daniel Berger, the victory here. Uh, That would be his fifth PGA Tour victory. And as it tends to do, the conversation will start to turn to major championships for a guy who has five wins on the resume. And he had two top tens in majors last year. He's now got that Ryder Cup experience that we always seem to 
trampoline always seems to trampoline guys uh, into contention more often. If he closes out, no problems on Sunday. It starts to look like a very interesting trend line for DB. Yes. Although there's something you and I have yes. talked about this before. <laughs> okay. And I love Daniel Berger. I'm a huge fan. The first time I ever met him, it was actually quite embarrassing for me. I, he, it was on the range at medalist. And I went up to him. There was nobody else there. I was working the range, went up, gave him some more golf balls, said hello. And uh, I said, Are you? he had a tour bag. I mean, this is probably 2014. Oh, no. And I said, um, you, are you playing on, you know, you, you playing on tour? And he said, yes. I said, well, what tour? He said, PGA tour. Oh, that one. That one. Yes, I've heard of that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, well, uh, hit a wall today. <laughs> it, it was just so silly. I, I, the only credit I can give myself is I think he was a rookie. And I also wasn't covering the game at any stretch um, professionally. So, yeah, but it, it was kind of that, that's my my Daniel Berger moment. But the thing about Berger that I, I think hurts him in major championships is the the new style of, say, a U.S. Open venue. Mm. Um, I, I his chances there go way down. It, it, you look at the last five winners of U.S. Opens and they're all these these big, long hitters. It's no longer the get it in the fairway, get it on the green style. So it, it takes him out of my mind for winning a U.S. Open, at least expecting him to. And and the Masters, I think, is very similar. He's at a, a disadvantage distance-wise there. And although he's a great iron player, I think it's a challenge. Um, and then the PGA championships tend to be bigger venues. A lot of big hitters are winning those events. And it really leaves him with an open championship where I think he has a great chance. What I've noticed with Berger is great success on the shorter courses on the PGA Tour. And you look at, if you give him this win, as we did hypothetically, <laughs> it, all of his wins are on shorter golf courses. You have the two yeah. in Memphis, because he's the king of Memphis. That's a, about a 7,200-yard golf course. You have the win at Colonial, a shorter golf course. The win at Pebble, a shorter golf yeah. course. The win here, a shorter golf course. And so I, I don't, to me, I'm not saying he can't do it. I, I just don't put him in that, Oh, are we going to see Berger win a major now? I, I don't put him in that category at this point. And it's really just a stylistic issue. I'd be cheering for him like crazy if he did. And, and he's certainly capable, but um, I, I just think there's a, a challenge for him there. Jacob's letting us know that he's 33 to one to win the masters 33 to one to win the PGA championship 40 to one to win the open championship. Last thing here, Greg, because I, I don't think there's necessarily, maybe there is a bet to be made on Kirk or Lowry and you just hope Berger falls apart. But do you think there is some merit and I haven't seen the matchups yet, but when they release like a, Shane Lowry plus 125 over Daniel Berger for the final round matchup. You mentioned it earlier. Berger's playing fairways and greens, a little incentive to put the gas down. Maybe you could steal a, a, a round four matchup against them. Yeah, you you could. And again, I don't think it's crazy to put a couple units on Lowry. I mean, I, I wouldn't break the bank on it. I wouldn't risk your mortgage on it by any means. But I don't think it's a terrible idea. Really, any of those guys that you see, if you're watching on YouTube on the screen there, um, with the exception of Kitayama, uh, Kitayama feels like he's really hanging on and he's doing a great job of it. I don't see a four or five under round coming out of him. But a, a Straka, a Kirk, a Svensson, 
a Lowry. I think they've all shown signs that that is a, a real possibility for them tomorrow. And in that case, you're short in one guy. You're and you're really looking at him shooting one over, which which isn't out of the question. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for one of those other guys to win. Um, but that being said, a matchup, the there's a, a real opportunity to win that matchup because of the style of play. But at the same time, <laughs> it's a beautiful bet because Shane Lowry's gonna have to hit it at a flag that Daniel Berger doesn't. And if it doesn't go well, yeah, I mean, you could have a three shot lead on 17 and Berger's down, uh, Lowry's down two, and he's cleaning up in the matchup. All of a sudden he hits it in the water because he has to take a chance. Berger doesn't and you and you lose. So I, I don't look at it as steel in a matchup because I, I think it kind of you you're playing both sides of the coin. But it's interesting. I actually, Rick, to that point, I, I think I'd prefer a Lowry. Uh, or any of those other players in a in an outright rather than a rather than a matchup. Yeah, the matchup you also have to step in front of the guy who is five shots clear. Uh, obviously, playing well for the week, which right. is always a little bit concerning as well. Okay, we will be back after the final rounds for the full Honda Classic breakdown. I'm sure there will be a little bit of a news roundup, one and done, best bets, all that stuff tomorrow evening sunday evening but for now big thanks to producer jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes that right there it's greg ducharme you can find him on twitter at the real gfd and you can find me at rick run good this has been the first cut and we'll catch you next time MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.